0: Well, good morning, New Dimensions. Welcome to the NDCC online worship experience. I'm Pastor Tyler, and as you can tell, I am in a totally different space. I know you probably thinking, where in the world is Pastor Tyler, where I am at the warehouse in Dothan, Alabama, under the direction of Mr. Dion Doyle and his team here, shout out to Dion, shout out to the whole crew. I'm gonna do a little something different. It's gonna be a little cinematic, hopefully. And I believe that God is really going to communicate through this word if you're ready for a word type in the comments I'm ready type I'm ready in the comments our text today will be John chapter 11 two verses of scripture and actually nestled in this narrative that's very familiar to you is the story of Lazarus on a macro broader scale but nestled in between this narrative are two unsettling verses verses that might bother you upon first glance John chapter 11, verses 14 through 15, Jesus says this, Jesus said plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Jesus says plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I was glad that I am not there, so that you may believe. The text today is going to communicate this overarching theme. I'm glad it didn't happen. I'm glad it didn't happen. Why don't you type that in the comments? It's very simple. I'm glad it didn't happen. Will you lift your hands up as we pray? God in heaven, we thank you for your word, your truth. God, we thank you for the power that is present in this place. There is no distance between us and where your presence can be. God, you are omnipresent everywhere, all at the same time. So God, I pray now that the people who are watching would be transformed, would be touched, would be changed, would be overwhelmed by your love, overwhelmed by your grace. God, a special prayer for those who are battling and dealing with uncertainty, confusion, mystery about the days to come. I pray that we would remember how sure a foundation you are, how resolute we can put our trust in you because, God, you never change, you never shake, you never move. God, you have chosen this flawed vessel to communicate your word. So, God, would you anoint my words? Would you anoint my mind? There can't be a fire in anyone's place if there was an iceberg behind the pulpit. So God, would you light me on fire that I may burn for you, burn for your truth, burn for your love, burn for your justice. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm glad it didn't happen. If you know anything about me, you know that I absolutely love certain things. I'm a zero or a hundred type of person. I have no interest or all the interest in the world and if if my close friends were to be asked the question what are things that tyler likes to do one of the things that you would get to pretty early on in the list is y'all know it i love comics i love the comic books there is nothing more exciting to me than being able to go to a comic book store and sit and drink in all the narratives and to read and to pick up single issues And books and things of that nature and I love comic books and because I love comic books of course it would follow that I also love comic book movies and in the comic book movies the Marvel movies have been standing out to so many of us for years and recently there was a show that came on Disney Plus and I've been watching this show and I absolutely love it for not just its entertainment but what it represents and the show is based upon the character Loki Now, some of you already know who Loki is. In Norse mythology, Loki is the god of mischief. Loki is the one who is always pricking his brother Thor, always creating havoc, always lying, always deceiving, always betraying. Loki reprises a very similar role. In the first Avengers film, we see that Loki was the main villain against all of the Avengers, like Iron Man and Captain America and and Hulk and others, right? And Loki, it it has a different twist to the character. It kind of takes this villain character and it kind of twists it on its head because it introduces an authority, something called the Time Variance Authority. And the Time Variance Authority, or TVA for short, is in charge with protecting what they call, interestingly, the Sacred Timeline. And the sacred timeline are the people who have been set in motion according to whoever is watching, whoever is over all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And the sacred timeline has people who will move outside of what's supposed to be the right time, who will do things outside of what's supposed to be, and they're called variants. And the variants are people who are outside of the sacred timeline who represent an alternate timeline, a time when something could have happened but didn't. A time when something possibly could have been a different way or a person could have been connected in a different space or they could have been born in a different place it could represent that but the truth of the matter is that in the in the TVA they have people who are who are designed to protect and and keep watch over this sacred timeline and it brings up this very important question what if what would like be like if Loki were born in a different place if he looked like a different ethnicity, or he was a different animal or species. What would Loki be like? And that's what much of Loki is really centering on, how different things could have been if they could have happened a certain way. And it brings up this reality that many of us in our lives, not just in fictional comic book lore, but in real life, we ask the question, what if? What if God would have allowed me to experience this? What if I would have been able to go here? Type that question in the comments. What if? What if I would have accepted that job? What if I would have walked in that open door? What if I would have moved to that city? What if I would have married that person? And not just what if for us, but what about what if for God? What if God would have stepped in when I asked? What if God would have done the thing that I was begging God to do? What if God would have healed my friend? What if God would have given me that job opportunity that he gave to my neighbor, but I was really more qualified, I had more aptitude and acumen than what they did? What if? What if God did this? I'm going to say something that might seem a little bit unsettling to you on the surface, but I hope that you receive it. There are some things, church, that happened in your life or didn't happen in your life that you should be glad they didn't happen. There are some things that occurred in your life and you should actually thank God that those things didn't materialize the way that you asked. Is anyone in here honest enough to admit that there are some prayers you're glad God didn't say yes to? There are some places you're glad God didn't open up the doors to? There are some things that you wanted that you're glad God didn't give them to you in the time when you asked for them. Because there is something about the perspective of God that sometimes causes us to ask the question, what if? Type it in the comments again if you haven't already. What if? What would life be like if the things that we desire actually truly happened? The way that we wanted, in the time that we wanted, with the people that we wanted. And here, smack in John chapter 11, we see that this what if question is reverberating and it is resonating across the halls of this text. And in this text, we see that Jesus doesn't act in the same way that people would have expected him to act. Jesus does something alternate. Jesus has a sacred timeline, and he keeps this sacred timeline, and it seems confusing to the characters of this text, but Jesus has a plan in mind. You know that, right? Jesus, in everything that we go through, in everything that we experience, God is able to take the negative things and turn them around for our good. God is able to take all things and cause them to work together for our good, and God's glory. But Jesus here, he is faced with this question from the principal characters of the text. And in any text, you can see certain characters. These are certain people that will center in the text. And we could read the text from Jesus's perspective. We could read the text from the disciples' perspective. We could read the text from Lazarus's perspective as one who is sick unto death. Or we could read the text from Mary and Martha's perspective. The text says in Here what we see in the text is that Mary and Martha weren't some fly-by-night fringe believers of Jesus. They weren't just some people who had heard and hopped on the Jesus bandwagon. They weren't just some people who had peered in or 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 received the healing from Jesus or 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 mooched off of someone else's relationship with him. They were people who knew Jesus, who understood Jesus, who could get in contact with Jesus, who were in proximity to Jesus. And these real believers, these true believers, these people who had relationship, true relationship with Jesus, they had a problem. Have you ever had a problem as a real believer? I know we don't like to talk about this because we like to present the carefully curated, manicured version of ourselves. We like to put filters upon our experiences. We show people all of our highlights, none of our bloopers. We like to present the best foot that we possibly can in front of people. But the truth of the matter is, just in case you didn't know it, real believers have real problems. Real believers have real problems. And if you are really a believer in Jesus, the truth of the matter is you will face difficulty. Jesus even testifies to this in his disciples. In this world, you will face tribulations. Has anyone ever faced a tribulation? Can you wave at me? Can you put a hand up in the comments if you face a tribulation? Can you be honest enough to say I'm facing a tribulation right now? I'm going through difficulty right now. I'm going through hell right now. And what I ask for God to do is just to show up, just to walk in through the door and God hasn't done it yet. And so you're asking the question, what's gonna happen if God doesn't do it? It's clear here it says that the text goes outside of its way to mention that Mary was the one who anointed Jesus with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. She did a public display, a public spectacle that said I truly believe in this Jesus and I'm willing to trust this Jesus with my life. Isn't it interesting that sometimes the people who are most vocal about Jesus are the ones who face the most difficulty. Isn't it interesting that some of Jesus' most faithful servants are the ones who have the most horrid experiences? Isn't it something that the people who are sometimes the only ones in their family, or the only ones on their job, or the only ones on their college campus who are adhering to what God has called for them to adhere to, they're the people who are going through. It can make you ask the question, it can make you think in your head, when is Jesus going to show up? When is it going to happen? I think to be able to understand these, when is it going to happen moments, these questions that we have, we have to to understand that there are different ways in viewing our theology and our walk with God. There are two crude ways of putting it. If I had to put it in different contexts and on opposing sides, on one side, there is something called prosperity theology. You've probably heard of it before. Prosperity theology tells us that God so desires the best for us. God so desires for us to experience all of what God has for us that God prevents pain from reaching us. Or if we experience pain, if we have enough faith, God can activate miraculous things on our behalf so that we can get out of the pain whenever we ask him to. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. There are some tenets and points of prosperity theology that have been treated unfairly. it's not wrong for us to have things. It is not wrong for us to experience delight. It is not wrong for us to walk into all that God has called for us to walk into. But the truth of the matter is that swung to the pendulum, taken to an extreme, we can start to miss that God hasn't just set up everything for us to coast through life and not have trouble and pain. If you could coast through life and not have trouble and pain, how would you find out who you really are? How would you know what God has called for you to do? How would you know all the things that God has called for you to have? How would you know your true purpose if you just coasted through life and everything was easy and simple and you never face any difficulty? And if that's the case, why is it that Jesus went down a cross? Why is it that Jesus was buried in an empty tomb? Why is it that all the disciples that follow Jesus face persecution? Why is it that the people who you know struggle? Why is it, if it's prosperity theology, that we assume that everything is supposed to work out for our good, and everything is supposed to work out with ease, and everything is supposed to work out without pain, if Jesus didn't experience that? But there's another side. There's prosperity theology on one side. On the other side, it's pain-only theology. There's prosperity theology, which says you're only supposed to experience the good things. And then there's pain-only theology, which says you're only supposed to endure suffering. And there's a there's truth in this because suffering is connected to glory in the text. Paul says that I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed. That's powerful. That's true. It is true that the, the Apostle Paul also says those who suffer with Jesus will reign with Jesus. But if it's all about suffering, why are there so many texts about blessing? If it's all about suffering, why does God give us unique mercies and unique graces? If it's all about suffering, why is it that God has put us in a place to be blessed? It can't just all be about suffering. It can't just all be about prosperity. I'm going to propose a third layer here. There's prosperity. There's pain only. I want mature theology. Someone type mature theology in the comments. Mature theology tells us that yes I might go through pain but God will work that pain for my good it may not be easy it may not be simplistic But when God gives me good gifts, I'm grateful and I thank God for them, but I figure out a way how to use the good things God gives me to advance the kingdom of God and advance the people who are my neighbors and advance the poor and advance those around me. Because it's not just about me, it's about bigger than me. And mature theology can look at the grief and say on the other side of the grief, there's growth mature theology can say on the other side of the diagnosis is God's presence on the other side of frustration is realization on the other side of pain is power mature theology can say I'm going through it right now but trouble don't last always weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning I want a mature theology I don't know about you church but if you want a mature theology, why don't you put a wave hand in the comments? I want a theology that can stand the test of of time. I want a relationship with Jesus that can be rooted in who Jesus is, greater than what I'm going through in this situation. How many know your savior is greater than your situation? That your God is greater than the obstacles that you face? That the truth about Jesus is greater than what you feel right now? Mature theology, truth, rooted, In spite of our experiences over our experiences and this is what Mary and Martha had to realize that real believers go through real problems but they needed to have a real theology a mature theology and it's interesting as the text goes on Jesus finally comes and isn't it funny how Jesus finally comes Jesus finally comes and it says this watch this verse 17 now when Jesus came after Lazarus had died He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now watch this little tidbit right here. Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off. Now hold up here. Lazarus had been in the tomb four days, but it was two miles away. Now some people that are watching right now in the chat that could get there from Bethany to Jerusalem two miles off before this sermon ends. (laughs) Y'all in shape. Y'all could get there in T minus 15 minutes, 16 minutes, 17 minutes, two miles. That's it. Why is it that Jesus didn't show up? Why is it that Jesus didn't do the thing that they expected him to do? Why is it that Jesus didn't show up in time? What if Jesus would have shown up before? What if Jesus would have shown up in the space and time which he wanted to? Let me ask you a question. How many of you are upset? that Jesus hasn't shown up in the time that you ask him to show up? How many of you deep down have some deep-seated underlying resentment? How many of you have some bitterness, some frustration, some anguish, some anger, some unresolved pain because Jesus didn't show up in the time when you expected Jesus to show up? Mary and Martha did. Notice verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary goes on later when she confronts Jesus and says, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if you would have been here, I wouldn't have been in this situation. Lord, if you would have been here, I wouldn't struggle. Lord, if you would have been here, I wouldn't have been broke. Lord, if you would have been here, I wouldn't have been unemployed. Lord, if you would have been here, I wouldn't have faced this debilitating pain. Lord, where are you? And some of you are not honest about it, And the truth of the matter is you can't experience worship and you can't experience depth of spiritual intimacy and you can't experience growth and you can't experience joy if you're not honest. And some of us need to have a real conversation with Jesus and say, Jesus, I've been harboring things on the inside of me and these things on the inside of me have kept me from understanding and experiencing and seeing you clearly because I'm mad that you didn't step in. And I'm angry that you were so close yet so far away and this is what keeps people away from Jesus it's what keeps people at a distance from Jesus it's what keeps people skeptical of the message that we preach but I'm here to tell you something because Mary and Martha didn't just simply have this idea of Lord if you would have been here Lord if you would have done this Lord if you would have stepped in because Mary says something interesting later in the text she says if you would have been here my brother would have died but then she says this, two words, even now. But even now, I know you can work a miracle. Do you have an even now mentality? See, again, we need a whole or of mature theology. A mature theology can be honest and say, Jesus, why didn't you show up? We can be honest about our own frustrations and our pains and our anxieties and our anger toward God. But then we can in the same breath also have an even now mentality that just because I'm angry with God doesn't mean God doesn't have power still. Just because I don't I don't know when God is going to show up doesn't mean that God isn't working it out for my good on my behalf in secret ways that I didn't even know about. And Jesus had a plan to work it out in a way that they didn't expect and they were open to it. And that's why the miracle happened even now. Even now, you can be restored. Even now, you can recover. If this isn't a word for COVID-19 and what it put us through in 2020, I don't know what is. Even now, you can still be a business owner. Even now, your family can still be reconciled even now you can still be healed even now you can be emotionally healthy even now you can make it right with the people who you were who lied on you and stabbed you in your back even now you can experience everything God has called for you to do. my time is running short but but church I hope you have an even now mentality type it in the comments type even now even now God can move on your behalf and that's what God does God moves on the behalf It says here in in verse 40 Jesus said to her did not I tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God didn't I tell you that if you kept this even now mentality you would experience God's glory and they roll away the stone and it's so funny what they say right they say hey Jesus by now he stinks if he's gonna take away the stone in verse 39 he's gonna stink he's been in there for four days Isn't it funny that sometimes when we ask God to move and God gives instructions, we keep God out of the things that are too messy? We keep God out of the things that we think are too toxic. Oh, you don't know about my relationship life. Oh, you don't know about what I did with my finances. Oh, you don't know what I said about this person. Oh, you don't know how I cussed them out up and down. You don't know about how I talked about how I was a believer. And then they crossed me the wrong way and I had to lash out at them and I had to let them know God ain't there with me yet. God doesn't really want me to be, God doesn't really want me to roll back the stone. God doesn't really want me to open up the things that stink. And Jesus says, no, open them up. And what Jesus was trying to do in this moment, church, as I close, I want you to hear this. Jesus was trying to give them evidence. It says here in the latter part of John chapter 11 that once Jesus had performed the miracle of Lazarus raising from the dead, of raising Lazarus miraculously, what happened? That the Pharisees and the chief priests in that moment decided that they were going to kill him. The move of God brings opposition. The move of God brings pain. The move of God brings obstacles. And Jesus moves miraculously and mightily. He rolls back the stone that was messy and stinky and toxic and contained death. A place of death became a place of life because he is the resurrection and the life. But then it says they wanted to kill Jesus. And then John 12, it takes it a step further. Watch this. John 12, verses 9 through 11. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans, catch this, to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Lazarus became the evidence. I talked about Loki earlier, but there's not just Disney Plus shows that I watch. There's another show I like to watch. It's called The Wire. Now, The Wire is long since passed. And let me just tell you, The Wire is not a Disney show. It was an HBO show. It was not for the faint of heart, not for the children, not for family viewing. But I absolutely love The Wire. It followed these drug dealers and also these cops, these police officers who were trying to catch them. And they were trying to get in through The Wire. They were trying to tap the phones, and they were trying to figure out the signals. And they were trying to follow these drug dealers like D'Angelo and Avon Barksdale and and Stringer Bell and Marlo Stanfield and Omar. And there were so many phenomenal scenes and memorable lines and great cast members. But one thing sticks out that whenever the people in the wire would get close, they would end up failing, not because they didn't have great strategies, not because they didn't have the right approach, not because they didn't have expertise but because they didn't have sufficient evidence that if you want to get a warrant to put a wire if you want to get a warrant to arrest if you want to get a warrant to search if you want to get a warrant to fill out the things that you have been charged with you must have the proper evidence and in this text what do we see Lazarus was the evidence that Jesus was capable of doing everything that Jesus said he was able to do you are the evidence that Jesus is capable to do everything in your city in your neighborhood in your family with your background in your state of life with your bank account with your situation with your past with your pain with your frustration you are the evidence and I want you to think about it bigger than you because you might be going through it right now but I'm glad it didn't happen I'm glad that Jesus didn't step in when Jesus wanted you to why because now I can see That Jesus is real in your life and now your neighbor can see that Jesus is real in your life you are evidence church and when you are the evidence of the truth when you are the evidence of the way when you are the evidence of the life you have to go through pain and you have to go through frustration but you need a mature theology you need an even now mentality you need to know in your mind that you're the evidence and you need to believe in your heart that God is doing something bigger than you in your situation, in your family, it's about more. You are the evidence. And if people looked at your life, could they say with honesty, could they they say with clarity, could they say with clear understanding that Jesus is real because they looked at your life? Could they say and see, would there be enough evidence to convict the Son of God that he was real? based upon your situation and I don't know about you but if I gotta go through pain and frustration and anguish and if I gotta go through all of the hell that I've gone through in my life for Jesus to be glorified It will have been worth it in the end because it's not just about me it's about the God on the inside of me and I'm willing to be evidence is there anybody out there that's willing to be evidence can you wave at me in the chat and say I'm willing to be presented as exhibit A and B and C that Jesus is real that Jesus can save if he can save someone who was strung out on drugs if he can save someone that was that was found in someone else's bed if he can save someone that was addicted to substances if he can save someone Someone that came from the bottom God can save you too I'm willing to be the evidence Lazarus was the evidence Mary and Martha were the evidence and you are the evidence church so God in heaven would you call your people to have an eternal mentality a perspective and even now idea of the truth that no matter what they're going through right now I sense someone is going through deep pain deep anguish and they're asking the question, why? Why am I here? Why is this going on? What if? What if God would just walk in and clear the slate? What if God would just walk in and deliver me? What if God would just walk in and get rid of my pain? And I'm here to say that God in heaven is looking down and saying, I'm glad I didn't step in when you wanted. I'm glad it didn't happen because I'm gonna be able to work something on the inside of you that is far greater than what would have happened if I would have stepped in. You don't even know who you are. You don't even know who you're becoming. You don't even know how powerful you're going to be because it didn't happen, so I'm glad it didn't happen. God, would you give us mature theology? Would you help us to be grounded, rooted, cemented, understanding how great and mighty you are? And God, would you give us peace and comfort, that you're not silent, that you're not, you're not stationary. You're always moving. You're always speaking. We might not be able to hear you, but you're always moving. You're always speaking. You're always doing incredible things. May we have the faith to believe it for us, and it may not come when we want it, but God, it will come in due time. We thank you, God, that you have called us to be the evidence. It is our honor to be your evidence. May we be faithful in it and live it out. In Jesus name. Amen. Church, I'm glad it didn't happen. And I can't wait to see who you're going to be on the other side of right now this is Pastor Tyler again. Thank you so much for tuning in to the NDCC online worship experience. So if you want to take a step in God, I want to pause here. You know, normally I just breeze through this and say, hey, you can just put home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. But I think there might be someone out there who genuinely wants to have an encounter with God, who wants to make a decision to follow Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hands right now. You can type home in the comments, but right now, first, I just want you to lift up your hands. And I just want you to say, even repeating after me, if that's you, you say, God, I wanna give my life to you for real this time. I wanna follow you in everything that I say and I do, transform and change my life. Lift up your hands and say, God, come into my heart and save me. I repent of my sins. I repent of the way that I've been going. And I just wanna follow you. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for what he's done on the cross. Thank you that he's alive and risen and thank you that I can make the choice to follow him. Come into my heart and save me, transform me, make me new, in Jesus name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, we're so excited. We're proud of you. We wanna celebrate you. We wanna be excited with you and walk with you as well. You can type home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. It means so much that we're able to introduce Jesus to you. Once again, if you did not have the opportunity to give earlier in the service, you can do so in two ways. You can go to ndccpensacola.org and click offerings, or you can mail it in to PO Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. I hope to see you next week. And until then, be blessed, be safe, be healthy. We love you so much. Peace.